Today, we're starting a brand new message series called House of Prayer, House of Prayer. Man, we are so excited because as we begin this series, we're gonna focus on what it means to know God and experience his power. What it means to know God and experience his power. It's really fun talking to people about their relationships. Are there any relationship meddlers out there? Like you like to get in other people's business? You're not gonna raise your hand. You're just gonna do it later in secret. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun to mess with people's relationships. I've done it a few times. Most of the times it ends spectacularly bad, but there's one time it went okay. Relationships are powerful. And when my wife and I first got married, we were 24 years old. We left our community from college. We moved to a new area and started a new job. And we started to look around and we realized we don't have like that perfect couple friend that we can hang out with anymore. We still had like cool single people in our life and we love them, but we wanted like a great couple friend that we could, you know, go on cool double dates with and have those weird game nights with. And so because we didn't have the perfect couple friend, we began to scheme and thought to ourselves, maybe we'll make our own. So I said, why don't you find your favorite person to hang out with and I'll find my favorite person to hang out with and then we'll come together and trick them into falling in love. It'll work great. And so my wife started thinking and her best buddy at the time was this awesome woman named Sarah and a guy that um, I was just having a great time having lunches, having coffees with. Uh, his, he, he was a guy by the name of Trey. And I was like, let's set them up on a date. This is gonna be amazing. And my wife is the conscientious one. She's like, do you think it'll work? I'm like, who cares? It works for us. Let's go. And so um, we're like thinking about how we're gonna set them up on the date. And my wife is like, Aaron, I just realized there's an age difference between them. And I'm like, that's okay. Who's older? It's like, she's older. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And uh, I was like, how much older? And she was like, she's seven years older. And I'm like, uh, let's not tell him, let's just lie. And so she's like, that's awful, don't do that. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm gonna pray. God will forgive me, I'm gonna lie because I really wanted it to happen. And so um, we, we started talking. I was like, Trey, there's this awesome you know, woman you've got to meet. Her name is Sarah. He's like, yeah, I've seen her. And I was like, okay, half the battle's done. And I was like, we're going to get together. We're going to go for coffee. It's going to be so much fun. He's like, let's go. And he's like, I heard she might be a little bit older than me. And I was like, you did? And so that's the trick is you answer a question with a question, okay? Um, so somebody's like, what's for dinner tonight? And you're like, what is for dinner? Um, so we get to the coffee shop and I'm like starting to sweat. Like I don't get nervous often, like at least that I'm aware of, but uh, I'm starting to get nervous. My hands are sweaty. I'm more nervous than Trey is. I'm like, what have we gotten into? And so we get to the coffee shop in this downtown little area. It's like a cool vibe. We're walking in and I'm like, what have I done? I can't believe it. And we get in and we sit at the table and I'll never forget, Trey makes this cheesy joke and she burst out laughing. And I'm like, we did it. <laughs> Eight months later, they were married. After the fact, Trey came up to me and he was like, bro, you never told me she was so much older. And I said, did it matter? And he goes, not anymore. And so I thought I was being so clever playing these little relationship games. But looking back, you know what the truth of it is? The truth of it is we never had to have those little tricks to get people into relationship because Trey and Sarah were made for each other. They just needed a chance to connect. 
I want you to think about that today as we start discussing the subject of prayer. Because for a lot of people, the topic of prayer can get really complicated. A lot of us have a whole bunch of baggage in our heart and lives when we hear about the subject of prayer, because we're all aware of moments when we didn't feel like we were very good at praying. But I wanna just set some expectations today. At the very heart of it, I'm just this guy up here on a platform trying to help encourage you in your relationship with God. If the only thing we do today is to help you breathe fresh life into the way you connect with God, that is a win. And that's why we're talking about prayer. This, this sermon series title, House of Prayer, it actually comes from the words of Jesus. It comes from one of my very favorite stories about Jesus. And I would love, you know, if I was gonna teach this message the way I would like to teach it, it wouldn't be up on a platform. It would be sitting across the table from you having coffee. Over 15 years of ministry, one of my very favorite things to do is to sit down with somebody in a real way and go, how are you and Jesus doing? And let's talk about it. Let's talk about what's complicated. Let's talk about what's refreshing. Let's talk about what's exciting. And I would ask you, what is your favorite story about Jesus? I was thinking about this today. One of my very favorite stories takes place in John chapter eight. And it's one of those stories that's so scandalous. You can't believe it's in the Bible. And that reminds me, the Bible is not this religious textbook that was meant to be taught in seminaries as this cold, dry subject. The Bible is the real account of real people who really encountered a living God. And there's this story in John chapter eight where Jesus is walking through the town and this group of very religious people come up to him and they've got a person standing with them. And it's a very unreligious woman. And the Bible calls her or history calls her the woman caught in the act of adultery. I don't think you could have a more explicit description. The woman caught in the act of adultery. And she's cast down at Jesus's feet, wearing little more than her shame. And there's all sorts of expectations about what was gonna happen next. See, the religious people thought they had a case against her. They said, we have this law that says someone caught in the act of adultery can be killed right here. And so I just wonder how this woman was trembling. Maybe she even felt, I'm about to get what I deserve. Maybe she was saying, they don't know the real story. Maybe she was caught in a moment of exploitation and she needed justice. We don't know, we can just wonder. But it's what happened next that changed everything. And Jesus says, that's fine, go ahead and cast the stone, but wait first. You can only cast a stone if you are perfect. And slowly, believe it or not, the room cleared out. And it's what Jesus said next. He says, ma'am, who is left to condemn you? And she looks around and says, no one. And then he says, then neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And you know why that's a beautiful story? Because it not only shows the compassion of Jesus, it shows us the sufficiency of Jesus because Jesus didn't forget about her sin. Jesus knew the only reason he could forgive her is because months from that moment, he was gonna die for her sin. She didn't have to pay her price because Jesus paid her price. And when we talk about prayer, we're talking about building a relationship with that kind of person. But the story I want to really tell you about, it comes about a week before Jesus would stretch out his arms on the cross and give his life for you and me. 
He walks into a religious place. It was the temple. And he had every expectation to be in the presence of the living God amongst people who wanted to meet with God. And instead, you know what he found? A whole bunch of dried up old religious people who were trying to make a dollar off of people who desperately needed a fresh encounter. And you know what happened? Jesus blessed them and walked away. No, Jesus got ticked off. The Bible says that he starts causing a scene. He's flipping over tables. And then in this one part, it says he takes these cords, makes a whip and starts chasing people around. Jesus is like Indiana Jones, come on. I bet the last time somebody said to you, what would Jesus do? They weren't picturing, take up a whip and chase religious people. But that's my Jesus, amen? And after Jesus chases all those people out, he has the chance to define what his house will stand for. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't say my house will be a house of preaching, although preaching's fine. (laughs) He doesn't say my house will be a house of programs, although I love a good program, come on. Jesus says my house will be a house of prayer. And you know why? Because it has always been God's desire to connect with his people. And anything less is not what Jesus has in mind. I want you to know today what Jesus really wants from you. You may tell you what he really wants from you. I mean, that question has a lot of baggage, even in my life. What does Jesus really want from you? Here's what he wants from you. He wants you. What kind of God is that? But the truth is sometimes prayer is complicated. Maybe you come from a faith tradition where prayer fell awkward, maybe even worse than a first date. There is a book I was reading recently and he says, you can tell who loves preaching by who shows up on Sunday, but you can tell who loves Jesus by who shows up to prayer. There's been too many times in my life I've been on the wrong side of that statement. Man, I love to hear about God, but sometimes it feels so awkward to try to actually connect with God. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way too. Maybe you're like me and you saw preachers using tricks and gimmicks trying to get people to pray. Kind of like I use tricks and gimmicks to introduce my friends. Can I tell you? That real prayer is so much better than that. The truth is prayer isn't a code that you can hack. Prayer isn't a formula you can memorize. And prayer certainly isn't a performance that you can fake. And prayer was never meant to be boring. In fact, real prayer starts with learning how to love being in God's presence. I want you to hear this. You weren't made to perform for God. You were made to connect with God. That was a good amen moment. Let me set you up one more time. Let's do it. Here we go. Ready? Ready? Crack your neck. Here we go. You are made to perform for God. You are made to connect with God. Amen. What if my friend Trey had come to me for dating advice? Aaron, how do I impress Sarah? I'm just gonna tell you the truth. At that time in Trey's life, he was like a former athlete, not that former, you know? He still had the look. It was before all his hair fell out. So um, he didn't need my advice, but... If he had come to me, I would have never said, hey, Trey, here's how to impress Sarah. Walk up to her and be like, girl, my Sarah who art in coffee shop, normal be your name. Just repeat those words to her and she'll love you. No, that would be nuts. That would be crazy. 
And yet so many of us have been taught that in order to pray, we've got to say what we think God wants us to hear. It's not a relationship, that's a performance. Henry Blackaby writes this, there are far too many people who settle for practicing a sterile religion rather than enjoying a growing and vibrant personal relationship with the living God. Where are we at today? What would describe our lives and our walk with Jesus? Man, if we could really connect with him the way he wants to connect with us, what would it transform? What would it change about our confidence? What would it change about our identity? What would it change about our security? And how could it give us joy? What if we could ask Jesus for advice on how to pray? I believe we can. And that's why I love our text today. Let's turn back to what Hillary read for us just a moment ago in Matthew chapter six. Let's look again at verse nine. Jesus told a group of his closest friends the following passage. They asked him, Jesus, how do we pray? He says, I'm glad you asked. Pray like this. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Wouldn't it be crazy if we had a two hour long message, just kidding, wanna scare you, uh, talking about prayer and we didn't stop to pray. So let's do that right now. If you feel comfortable, would you just bow your head and close your eyes for a minute? Maybe just take a breath. And maybe God isn't just some cosmic far off idea. Maybe he is a real person whose presence is near. I wonder if you took just a moment to become aware of his presence around you. And maybe take just a moment to think of something that you love about God and tell him. I wonder if there's a question that you have about God. Why don't you ask him? God, I thank you so much for your love, your grace and your power. I'm believing in faith that you are here with us now. I believe in faith that what you have to say to our hearts is so much more important than what I have to say to anybody. So Jesus, won't you move now? We give you this time in your name we pray. And God's people said, amen. You know, after doing ministry for a little while, I've learned that we're all in different places at prayer. Uh, just like any relationship, there can be ups and downs. And I wonder where you're at today. There might be some people in the room and the truth is like you've never been better in your walk with Jesus. Maybe your prayer life looks like you're talking to both a familiar friend and a conquering king and you stand in awe at the glory of who he is and yet he feels so familiar and so close. Praise God. And my goal today is just to encourage you to keep going, keep reaching into the glory and presence of the living God who wants to show you more of who he is every day. Maybe there's some other people in the room. And the truth is there's an area of your prayer life where maybe you feel stuck. Like maybe um, it's, it's been a, a season of feeling like your prayers are maybe bouncing off the ceiling. Or if someone said, hey, what would it look like for you to spend an hour in prayer? Your palms start to get sweaty. You're like two minutes tops. Then I don't know what I would say. Maybe you're not even sure what you believe about God. 
and you're here today just checking things out, I want you to know, no matter which category you fall into, this message is for you. We're all at different places. Today, I just wanna cast a vision. What if prayer could never feel awkward? What if prayer was as natural as breathing? What if it was fun? What if it gave you deep joy? And what if prayer worked? I think our prayer is that this would become a true house of prayer. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if people would drive in off the highway and pull onto our campus and as they drove closer to the building, something in their heart would begin to stir and burn because they were approaching something like a real and vibrant presence that Jesus was just asked to be here so often with such intensity that you couldn't walk in the front door without noticing something. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool if this was known as a house of prayer? I wanna cast a second vision. What if your house was a house of prayer? What if when people came over for dinner or neighbors walked past your house, what if there was just something different about what took place where you lay your head at night? I want you to know it's possible and I want you to know it's God's vision. I'm convinced that can be our story. And I believe that a life like that could change everything. There's a couple of things I wanna show you from this text. I wanna teach you a little bit about prayer. Again, I wish this could be at the coffee shop. I had multiple people after the first service come up and say, let's grab coffee. So I'm making friends left and right. This is awesome. If any of you are single and you want me to connect you, I don't do that anymore. Uh, But the first thing is this, real prayer is deeply rewarding. Real prayer is deeply rewarding. I want you to know that a great prayer life is not just something that God wants from you. A great prayer life is something God wants for you. You were made, you were created to be divinely connected with God. And that is mind-blowing. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches us how not to pray. He says, you know those people who are like really good? And getting up there and saying the right words, those people who get invited to pray in front of others with microphones and their prayers sound like a poem. Like, that's great. I hope that's real and I hope it works. But when I hear prayers like that, it sure is intimidating for me because that's not what my prayers sound like most of the time. But Jesus says, if the only reason you're getting up to pray in front of other people is so that you can be heard by other people, that is your only reward. That is your only reward. I hope it was worth it. But Jesus says there is another kind of prayer that comes from the deepest parts of who we are. When we get deeply honest with who we are before God, then we will be rewarded. And here is the reward. Jesus himself is the reward. Here's the great mystery of Christianity, that the promise of God is the presence of God. Let us never lose sight of that. I was reading a book recently with an amazing title. It says, pray like monks, live like fools. And when I first read that title, I was like, I don't wanna do either. But as I'm reading this book, it's been powerful. I want you to hear what Tyler Staten, the author has to say. He says, prayer is about love. The Bible is not a rule book or a set of directions. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The Bible is a love story. It's a romantic, courageous love story that you are invited to believe. 
God has invited you into his love story. He wants you to spend time with him. And you know what's supposed to happen when you spend time with someone you like? Everything in you relaxes. Like science has taught us deep studies on relationships. We were created for connection. And when we are around people that we like, it's proven to increase our health. It's proven to improve our well-being. Being with people that you like increases your rates of survival. It can boost your financial success. Somebody goes, right there, you got me. I'm gonna go make some friends today. Being around people you like increases your joy. You were created for connection and learning how to pray gives us access to the world's most powerful connection. And if we were at coffee today, you know what I would really ask you, but I would love to hear from you. When was the last time you enjoyed being in God's presence? When is the last time you enjoyed being in God's presence? And by the way, there's no wrong answer. But if we're not asking ourselves that question, then what are we doing here? You weren't made to perform for God. You were made to connect with God. If you really think about it, it means that we are made to connect with the author of time, the creator of the cosmos, the one sustaining everything at all times, the one with no beginning and the one with no end. And we are invited to connect with him. It's an intimidating thought, but it's also wild and exciting and it's essential. Martin Luther, the great reformer says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I know a whole bunch of Christians who go, yeah, I've been walking with God a long time. The Bible reading, awesome. Go to church pretty regularly. My giving is great. My prayer life is a struggle. And today, no judgment, just an invitation to put a spotlight of focus on the thing that might matter most of all. The second thing that we see is real prayer is deeply personal. Real prayer is deeply personal. I want you to see what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 6. He says, for you, when you pray, I want you to go into your inner room. I want you to see here that we need a place to pray. We need a place to pray. And maybe that's the most practical thing you could do today is to be really intentional about finding a place to pray. When I was church planning in Portland, it was walking laps around the city. That was my place to pray. There's been other times where a certain chair on my back patio was a place it was just easier to connect to God. There've been other times when sitting in a wonderful park was a place where I could just get away and be alone with God in the midst of a lot of other people. And so many times it's been walking trails. Right now it's in my office at home in the early mornings before my kids wake up. What is your place to pray? Jesus says, but for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That word secret in our culture is a little scary because secrets have got this bad connotation. Like if I said to you, how would you like if I told everyone all of your secrets today? Would that be fun? Let's just put them up on the screen. I feel a little like uncomfortable. I don't like this church, it's weird. It's because we think secrets are bad. Can I tell you that secrets aren't good or bad, but secrets are powerful. The secret place 
is the place of power. And what you do in secret will define you. And you know what I think the church of God, of Jesus needs in this day and age? We need some good secrets. We need some people who are willing to go into the secret place. And even when it's messy, and even if it can start out uncomfortable, and even if it's awkward for a minute, we are willing to press into the secret place to learn how to pray. Jesus also says, our father who is in heaven. I used to think growing up, that was God's phone number. Like, okay, you got to kick this off somehow. How do we do it? How do I dial them up? Uh, I knew some people who would be like, dear heavenly father, I knew some other people who would say, Father God. And the people who say, Father God, I love them. Have you noticed? They repeat it. Dear Father God, I just, Father God. I'm like, he knows, he knows his name. <laughs> That's cool. Um, Jesus meant for this to be so much more than a salutation. Jesus was redefining our relationship with God. You know, when Jesus taught a bunch of Jewish minded people to say, our father, it would have been a shocking piece of advice. Because from the Jewish mindset, in order to connect with God, there are a few images that would come to mind. If you ask the Jewish person, where is God? And how does God meet with people on earth? Maybe one of the images they would have thought of is Mount Sinai, where Moses climbed the mountain to meet with God. He came down from the mountain with the 10 commandments. And I was just reading in my morning watch in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it was describing what that mountain looked like. And if you could just imagine this rumbling tumbling, crazy, fiery, powerful, windswept mountain. And somebody saying, you just wanna go hang out up there for a while? You'd be like, I'm good. There's another image that might come to mind and it's the Holy of Holies, the spot in the temple where the manifest presence of God resided on earth as he was in heaven. But you couldn't just walk up there with a day pass. It was shrouded behind a veil. And when Jesus says, here's how I want you to address God, I want you to say, our father. You know, one of the most controversial things that Jesus ever said about himself is that he was the son of God. In fact, when a lot of the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus, one of the main complaints they brought against him is they said, this guy says he's the son of God. And now Jesus is saying, not only am I the son of God, I want you to pray like you are the sons and daughters of God is wild. And this is why Jesus can radically redefine our relationship with God. It's because Jesus invites us into his relationship with God. That's crazy. Here's what that means. If you've ever felt like you're not worthy enough to talk to God, the reason is, is because you're not worthy enough to talk to God. The Bible says that we've all messed up and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And maybe we walk around too often with a half-hearted awareness of that idea. I know I'm not perfect, dot, dot, dot. I know I'm not perfect, so I'll never be that close to God. I know I'm not perfect, so you shouldn't expect too much from me. I know I'm not perfect, so you can't hold me accountable. I know I'm not perfect. That's why I'll never go all in with Jesus. Can I tell you, the gospel exists to finish that sentence once and for all. When he was hanging on the cross, one of the last things Jesus cried out is this, it is finished. And here's what he meant. 
No, you're not perfect. And so Jesus came and he was perfect. Yes, you deserve punishment, but Jesus came and he paid your price. Yes, you have been far from God, but Jesus has come not just to be near, but to indwell you with his Holy Spirit forever so that now in Jesus, you live a resurrected life in the presence of God. That's the gospel. And a prayer life is learning how to grow into that reality. When we walk with Jesus, it gives us access, it gives us intimacy, and it gives us identity. There's a third thing I want you to see. Real prayer just gets better with practice. Like I can't end this message and you're suddenly gonna get how to pray. That's not my expectation. But what I wanna invite you to is just get started. Give it a shot. I think there's some common problems that some of us deal with when it comes to prayer. And I just wanna call them out because that's what I would do if we were at coffee. I would say, if, does one of these apply? Some of us, we think of Jesus as a friend and that's really good. Like, yeah, if I have time, like, you know, on the ride to work, I'll pray. Hey, if I remember, like before I sit down over a meal, I might, I might shoot up a quick prayer. You're welcome, Jesus. Can I tell you the problem with that? You can treat Jesus like a friend. You can't treat him like any other friend. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus. You cannot have a casual relationship with Jesus because you can be friends with Jesus. But remember this, this is what makes it good. You are still friends with the King of heaven. You are still friends with the ferocious one who overcame the grave, who stares down the devil and wins. He is the one who never loses his glory, but that never makes him less familiar. And that's why, that's why, that's why we see him as the lion and the lamb. And when you know Jesus like that, man, everything changes. Maybe, maybe you're caught in the second one. If I'm gonna be honest, this is the one. This is the one for me. Maybe you just haven't invested in your relationship with Jesus. Ever had a good friend, but you take him for granted? Oh man, that was their birthday the other day. Dang it. Oh man, I should send them something. And we lose our intimacy with God on the back of good intentions. Oh, I meant to get to that. What would happen if you just got to it? What would happen if you just said, yes, I'm gonna get a place to pray? What would happen if you say, yeah, I'm gonna ask some people to pray with me? What if you said, I'm gonna step out in times and places where it might feel uncomfortable to pray, but I'm just gonna do it because if this is mine for the taking, I wanna have it. Maybe today you just need to take the most basic practical step and suddenly eternity will meet you where you are. There's a third one. I just really wanna talk about this for a second. Maybe some of us have a hard time talking to Jesus as a friend because we've never truly defined our friendship with Jesus. Maybe we've never truly defined our friendship with Jesus. I want you to see in the text we read just a moment ago and in John chapter 15, Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, you're my friend. If you're my friend, if, I want to tell you another story. In the book of Matthew chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached, he predicts a series of conversations that he will really have with real people, with real consequences and stakes. 
And I can tell you, you do not wanna be the group of people who have this conversation with Jesus. And I'll also tell you another scary thing, that if you are looking for the group who will have this conversation with Jesus, the first place you would start looking is in churches. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Look at me. And then Jesus is speaking and he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'll tell you a personal story. Today is a heavy day for me for multiple reasons, but Jesus is still good. I was just looking at my phone and it reminded me that 21 years ago today, a close friend of mine in high school lost her life instantly in a car wreck. She was our homecoming queen. I was trying to get the courage to ask her to prom. She would have said no, but she would have done it super nice. (laughs) And I remember having conversations with her from middle school leading up into high school. And I was just beginning to work out my faith at that time in my life. And Jesus was becoming a friend, but I was like the awkward friend who didn't know how to talk about it. And so um, my friend Jenny was talking to me and she came from a different faith perspective where you did the right thing at the right time and hopefully it all works out in the end. And it hit me one day, I said, Jenny, I I don't know if you really know Jesus. By the way, if you're really trying to just grow in your cool vibes with people, like blurt that out in a conversation, see how it goes. I was like, I don't know that you really know Jesus. And she was like, I can't believe you said that. And honestly, for years, we were disconnected and we didn't talk that much. And things got awkward for a while. Some of you are like, why are you telling me to invite people to Easter? Now I'm never gonna do it. And slowly but surely, we started to chat more. We'd have more and more conversations. And then, um, and one night, she called me up on a Wednesday night and she said, Aaron, I wanted you to be the first to know that I was in a church service tonight and it hit me. Like I've always kind of known who Jesus is, but I don't think Jesus has really known me. I've never given everything that I know of myself to everything I know about him. But tonight I said yes to Jesus. Tonight I became a friend of Jesus. And I wonder what it would look like if people got honest about defining your relationship with Jesus. Because I want you to know, Jesus never promised an easy life. He promised an eternal life for those who believe. The question today isn't just, do you know Jesus? It's does Jesus know you? But the cool thing is a friend would never leave you wondering. A friend would never leave you wondering. The gospel says to know Jesus. Basically, we remember that there is a God and he is good. We acknowledge that there is a problem that keeps us separated and it's called sin. We realize that there is a hope and his name is Jesus when he paid our price and rose from the grave. But there is also a response and it is surrender. And I wonder if today someone needs to surrender your life for the first time and step into a relationship with Jesus. Prayer gets better with practice. Here's the beautiful thing about prayer is that not only does God know our secrets, but when we pray, God begins to reveal to us his secrets. 
his not so secret rescue mission to transform this world from a broke down place full of suffering, heartbreak and evil to a place gleaming with hope, gleaming with resurrection and pulsating with life. That's the plan of Jesus. It's the plan that he means when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And when you walk with Jesus, you get to get in on God's plan. And church, I just wonder, what if we didn't just talk about that? Because that would be boring. What if we did it? Like if I was at a coffee shop with you right now, I'd be like, you know what? This is good. Like enough talk. Like, let's make this real. How do we pray? I would say like, you challenge me or I'll challenge you. Let's do this together. Let's get some scriptures. Let's walk through them together. Like, let's pick a time in the day and pray at the same time. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray to grow closer to God. Let's pray that we would know him more. And since I can't do that with coffee, I wanna try in a different way. So I just wanna put up a number on the screen and you can pull out your phone right now if you want and text the word prayer to this number. And I just wanna challenge us as a church to walk through 21 days of prayer. And this kind of feels gimmicky. It's like, I'm a game show host, text now. Um, Beyond the gimmick, I just wanna cast a vision. What if we really did it? What if there were people for 21 days who said yes to Jesus? What if there are people who for 21 days said, we're gonna seek the living God. We're gonna ask him to fill us and change us and draw us closer to him and change people around us and change our families and change our hearts and give us a new strength of identity. What if we did that for 21 days and we showed up here on Easter with thousands of people pouring out our heart in worship? You know what I think that would look like? I think it would look like heaven on earth. And I don't know about you, but I want to give it a shot. And I would love for you to join us. I want you to sign up for this guided prayer so you can make room in your life to experience God's presence. I'm excited for this adventure, church. I'm going to ask for our musicians to come. We're going to close it out here. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the chance to come forward and maybe ask somebody to pray for you. But whenever I hear a message like this, I kind of sometimes do this. Yeah, sounds good. Like you seem like you're into it, but when you're off stage, is this really you? I don't know if you've ever thought that. I have, maybe I'm the cynic. But I just want to share you a story that like, I, I believe prayer is so real, even when it's not pretty. Uh, last Friday, so not this past Friday, but the Friday before, uh, my family started what will become a challenging journey that will continue for days to come. And many of you have experienced something like this. It's a sad story, but has a hopeful ending. My wife was headed down to Florida where her mom and dad live. Her dad had gone into the hospital for an expected heart procedure that was gonna be like kind of a routine deal. So we had been asking people to pray. Our small group was praying. Um, He went into surgery that morning. He came out, he was great. We get the videos. He's like, I'm doing great. I've told his story before. He was that intimidating Italian, scary father-in-law who then became a friend. And so my wife's flight, she was gonna fly down just to visit him and bring him some, you know, feel better cards. And she takes off at 1.15 PM. And at 1.30 PM, I got a call from my mother-in-law. She was crying. And she said, Aaron, I don't know what to do. I just wanna let you know. Like Charlie, his heart has stopped and they're working on him right now. And my son was in the living room. My daughter, one was at school, one was upstairs sleeping. 
And uh, I just walked into the guest room and I'm like, man, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know what to do in moments like this. And really, I just feel scared. And I just remember collapsing to my knees and I just prayed with my mother-in-law on the phone. And immediately I just felt friend Jesus show up. Even when he doesn't give answers, the Bible says that he brings a peace that can pass our understanding. And so I just kept praying. Like I texted some friends and honestly, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, what a great story this is gonna be. He's gonna pull out, but I wasn't getting updates and that started to worry me. And I knew my wife was gonna land on the ground and walk into an uncertain situation. And I'm pretty protective as a husband. I'm like, I wanna know what's going on. And so finally, an hour later, I get a call from my wife she has tears in her voice. She said, Aaron, dad didn't make it. And um, I, uh, I didn't have a pretty prayer to pray in that moment. You ever been there? I just really collapsed to my knees and I just started to call out to God, not knowing what to say, but knowing it didn't matter. I'm telling you, that's what friendship prayer is. It's knowing where to turn when you don't know where to turn. It's knowing that he will walk with you when you can't even walk anymore. It's knowing that there doesn't have to be a pretty ending to every story because in Jesus, there's a hope that will never end. There's an old song that was written in the 1800s by a man on his deathbed. And the story goes that he never intended for people to see this poem, but his friends took it and set it to music. And it's been encouraging the church for years. It says, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I wonder today, do you know how to walk with your friend, Jesus? Would you bow your head and close your eyes?